The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Today we're reading from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. When you are ready, please stand for the reading of God's word. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, there may be a copy in front of you. Um, the page we are on is 923. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I seek the gift, but I seek, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We're in our last Sunday of uh, Pastor John's sabbatical, and uh, Brother Charles is uh, Pastor Charles is going to be bringing the word for us this morning. He's already served us well and leading us. And uh, John doesn't know this, but we're all taking a three month sabbatical starting next Sunday as well. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're just kidding. But uh, Charles, let me pray for you, brother. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to proclaim your word week in and week out to this body of believers. I thank you for my brother Charles. Thank you for how he has so faithfully served our family over the years. Thank you for the many giftings that you have equipped him with and how he uses those for your glory and for the good of others. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower him now as he preaches I pray for all of us in attendance that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have for us this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We survived. That's the text dream that we, uh, Brady and uh, Brian Hubert and Michelle and I have. It's called Surviving the Sabbatical. And so uh, you made it. We made it. Um, And uh, as I've been thinking about it, I need to chase one quick rabbit. Also, by the way, some of you are holding out on me. Wow, you guys sang really good today. It was so much fun. Just, in fact, did you notice I quit? I just started playing. 
because you all just were, it's like, hey, the worship team's out there, you know? So it was good. So thank you guys for lifting up praises this morning as we sang together. No, I want to I, I say it's just been such a joy to be in a church where we have so many different men who can faithfully bring the word of God. Um, and I mean, there's not, been, there's not been one week where I've just gone home and gone, wow, that was just like, ah, I, need to do more my, I need to do more of my own work um, in the text because um, the text wasn't presented clearly or um, there just wasn't, you know, they left a lot of meat on the bone. Uh, and it's just been so, so I just want to say thank you first and foremost uh, to the different men that have preached this summer. So um, I know he's, He's downstairs getting everything set up for the nest, but um, uh, Will Henry uh, preaching, for, quite honestly, for the first time kind of publicly. I mean, he's done some things back in college, uh, and then our elder team, and then having a chance uh, fill in, and then a couple of faithful friends of our church um, in Bella Fay and Matt just bringing God's word. So it's just, it's been a joy. So it, it's, quite honestly, it's kind of like how Paul started off yeah, it is. It's good. It's, it's, it's good to give God a hand for us having um, these faithful people. Because a lot of churches, um, man, if, if their pastor leaves, they, they don't have anybody. And so for us just to have several people, um, and we've, we've also got other men in our body that could, could do that as well. You know, so it wasn't just the guys that preached this summer. So I'm super grateful for that. And we just want to give thanks to that in, in a similar way that Paul was giving thanks to the Philippians. I mean, he just loved this church. Um, they were just sweet friends to him. And, and, and a lot of that has to do with I just, I, the way they took care of him. We're going to see that here today. But also, I think, just the way that they just faithfully shared the gospel. Um, you know, it goes all the way back, and we've talked about this before, but just kind of a quick recap. I mean, it goes all the way back to um, this faithful woman named Lydia, who was a God-fearer came to faith, her household came to faith, the Philippian jailer came to faith, his household came to faith, um, the city got turned upside down by Paul and many other people came to faith, and then this church just faithfully preached the word of God, and um, it's, Candy and I were talking about this the other day, we, we have a different view of this because um, this whole thing started in our living room over 15 years ago, and so for us to see where it came from in our living room to where it is today, and just the people that have gone out from this church to serve other places, um, the people that are faithfully serving in this church. Um, it's just a joy to be a part of this family. And so this morning, as we look at our text, um, Paul ends his message, uh, his letter to the Philippians, by talking about money. Okay, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we jump into this idea of um, how the church took care of him and how he called them and was thankful for their partnership, quite literally, with their finances. Um, and I know that can often be kind of a, a hard subject for pastors or missionaries to talk about because I know in our world today, the, the pendulum has swung, um, you know, from the prosperity gospel to the poverty gospel. And thankfully, Paul takes a different tact and he goes right through the middle of it and talks just faithfully about what partnership looks like from a godly Christ-centered perspective. And I just want to say to our church, um, we don't have to talk about it a whole lot because this church is just open-handed and generous in the way that we, A, care for each other, B, send out resources to make a difference globally, um, and then also just care for people that we discover locally. 
Um, this is just one of those churches that Paul could write back to and say, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for taking care of me because you've been faithful in doing that. Um, and so Delta, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness as we get started and as we look at this text this morning. So the title of the message, if you're taking notes, is Reflections in Gratitude. And the first thing that I want us to look at when we look at verse 10 is this. As believers, we can be thankful because we've learned contentment. As believers, we can be thankful because we've learned contentment. So in this first, these first 10 through 13 is what we're going to look at together. And Paul said, he rejoiced greatly because the Philippians didn't forget about him. And that made him really, really grateful. He opens this idea with rejoicing greatly because for whatever reason, somehow they, they got disconnected for a season. Um, I mean, as you know, there, there was no, you know, internet, Facebook, all those kind of things. Um, the way things got back to each other was letters through couriers, those kind of things. So there just may have been a season where Paul, as he made his way to Rome and got put in prison in Rome, he didn't get to hear from his good friends for a while. But he says to them, thank you for reviving your concern for me. As I, as I reflected on that, as I was thinking about that, how, how cool is it whenever you haven't heard from a friend in a long, long time? And they're just kind of out of the blue. Hey, I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you today. And you're like, oh, wow, man, I, I, haven't, I haven't heard from you forever. But I'm grateful for your concern for me. And it came at just the right moment. Today was a day I needed to hear that prayer. But sometimes, whenever those things happen, I'm like, well, it's about time, <laughs> you know, because there's a little cynicism in my heart, and, I, and I'm going through a rough moment, and instead of being grateful, the, the cynical kind of thing creeps in. And so I just want you to think for yourself, how do you respond when you get those kind of long-time friend messages? Because for Paul... He was grateful. He, was, he, he said, in fact, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so when you think about that idea, he's not manipulating them. He's not being over the top. He's just simply saying, thank you. Thank you for your connection with me. So again, another application for us is who are those people in your world that maybe haven't heard from you in a while? but they need to hear from you today. Maybe it's just a quick text. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a note. Maybe it's a long text. Maybe it's a video call. I, whatever. But just reminding, hey, I was, just, I was thinking about you this morning. I heard something in the message, or I heard a song, or as I was reading Scripture, this Scripture passage reminded me to be thankful for you and the work that you're doing. Because... It came at just the right moment for Paul. Now, the thing I want you to see is that Paul was able to be thankful and not come out of it from a cynicism because there was this whole gratefulness. Um, and he goes on to talk about this idea of I can be content because I know how to be brought low, how to abound. And we're going we're gonna to dig into that here in a second. But as, as I think about that, as I think about even in my own life, 
Um, when Candy and I first started out in ministry, we got married while we were in college, while I was in college. She graduated um, a year before I did. Um, yes, I married an older woman. You can't tell that, so, but she is older. So, all right. Um, she looks 10 years younger. So, um, but I just remember our first, in our first ministry setting, we had people that didn't forget about us. Um, I mean, I was senior in college. She was a brand new teacher. Um, anybody remember when macaroni, you could get 10 boxes for a dollar? That was, that, was, that was part of our routine, okay? All right. Um, but we worked in a little country church outside of Kansas City, and um, it was, it was um, two brothers that had married two sisters, and um, then everybody else in the church was related to all those people, all right? But they were all cattle ranchers, okay? So, so one cool thing about being in a church with a bunch of cattle ranchers is you're always going to eat good, right? You're always going to eat good. Fourth of July, what'd we do? They roasted a hog, okay, all right, because one guy was a hog farmer. So, um, But every once in a while, we would just find a bag of steaks in, our, in the backseat of our car when we come out from church, you know? They, just, they may not have paid us a whole lot, but they didn't forget about us. Um, or Katie and I were talking about this yesterday, right before Carrie was born. So our oldest daughter, some of you guys don't know her, she's 33. Um, and so right before she was born, um, one of the ladies in the church invited us over for you know, the big old full course Sunday meal. And we hadn't eaten like that in a long time, you know? And so just, just having those little moments of people caring for you um, is significant. One of the church that we started off, we, we only had one car. And um, when I came in the office, Candy dropped me off. And the pastor said, hey, um, that church van out in the parking lot, it doesn't get driven very much. And so anytime you need a second vehicle, you just, you, just, you just drive that thing, all right? Now, you kind of put your ego in check, right? Cause it's a 15-passenger van, okay, with retread tires. Uh, and so back then you could go, I was a youth pastor, and you could go have lunch with the students at the high school. The students really weren't excited when I showed up in the 15-passenger church van to have lunch with them at the high school. So, um, but it was, it was another little provision um, that we were grateful for and thankful for um, in the way that Paul was being thankful for them. And so I'm just grateful even today to be a part of a network of churches who cares for and takes care of their missionaries on the field. We have church planners all over this country. We have missionaries all over the world that get cared for um, in ways that you will never see or know because of the family of churches that we're a part of. Um, and so if you, if you don't know, there's this thing called the cooperative program that we give to every week when you take an offering and, and that money gets distributed out to our missionaries all over the globe and all over the United States. Um, Canada benefit from that. And so again, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness to remember um, because you have had the opportunity, just like the Philippians had the opportunity to take care of Paul. And so I don't want to belabor that anymore, but I just want to again, just remind us that there are people all over the world that depend on us to do what the Philippians did for Paul. Paul goes on to say in verse 11, I've learned to be content. He said, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. Because see, contentment 
is not circumstantial. Let me say that again. Contentment is not circumstantial. And I think in our world today, it's a challenge to be content. Um, I mean, if you just open up your phone, Amazon, Walmart Plus, Netflix, Peacock, Amazon Prime, Sam's Club, Costco, whatever your favorite you know, shopping place is, they're always reminding you that there's something that you need, right? They always put it in that category of need. And so we're constantly having to battle this message of you need blank to be more blank, right? Um, if you hang around me any at all, you'll know that um, there are two things that I love. I love fountain pens and I love shoes, okay? Um, not these kind of shoes, but like I always have like multiple pairs of CrossFit shoes. Not that I need them, but you know, there's another sale. So, hey, I, I, I need, you know, and I use that phrase, I need. It's like, no, you don't need. But there's something going on inside of me where I see in myself that there's something, there's a hole there, there's, there's something that I'm looking for. And so the way that I self-medicate, because um, that's what we all do, all right, the way that I self-medicate is I self-medicate by buying another fountain pen um, or... Um, a small way that I self-medicate is a bag of Funyuns, a, a piece of Casey's Pizza, and a doc Dr. Pepper. So, all right, you know, yes, I still have the taste buds of a 13-year-old, okay, all right, um, or a bag of Crunchy Cheetos. But so here, because, I, because I'll, in my mind, I will say I will need fill-in-the-blank to be more blank. But the reality is that's, that is a symptom of discontentment. And it's a, it's a symptom of a deeper heart issue that Jesus is not enough. And so I'm going to take care of myself in a way that I think I should take care of myself because I don't think Jesus will provide for me in the way that I want him to. But what Paul is saying to us here in, in verse 11 is he said, I've learned, and I think that's the key word that we need to focus in on. Really, I mean, we are talking about contentment, but I think a key word in this passage is Paul's learned to be content. So what are the experiences that you are in the midst of? What are the situations that God has you in the midst of right now that he may be teaching you some new things about himself so that you can learn to be more content with him and him alone? For some of you, you may be in a season where you have some needs. You have some true needs, whether it's financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. There may be a true vacuum of need that's there. And God is calling you to lean into him and not things that you may chase after or somebody else may say, oh, but if you have this, then that will be filled. For others of you, you may be in a season of abundance right now. You may have everything you need. You may be in a great place relationally, emotionally, spiritually. But the temptation in those moments of abundance is to put your hand up to the Father and say, I'm good. I don't need you because I'm good. And both of those places are dangerous places to be because it pulls us out of a space of dependence on Him. 
And when we move out of that space of dependence on Him, we begin to drift away from contentment. And we begin to to grasp. And all of a sudden, when the abundance cup is just not as full as it should be, we begin to scramble to try to fill it ourselves because we've been lulled into this idea that I'm good. I don't need you. It's kind of two sides of the of what I call the two temptations of greed. If you have an abundance, it's the temptation of self-reliance and denial. If you're living in poverty, and, and I don't use that word like um, where a lot of people are. Like there's, there, I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that's living in poverty, um, like below the poverty line, like we see um, in third world countries or even um, some folks that we walk alongside minister to here in Springfield, but impoverished. Maybe your soul is impoverished in this moment, or maybe relationally you're impoverished. Or financially, there are some things that you're struggling with. And so the temptation there is envy, and the temptation there is to move to deception to get what you want. So either side of the coin, contentment um, isn't there. We see this play out all the time if you work in the nest, right? Can I get a witness from our nest workers? Child has a toy in one hand. Child has a toy in another hand. Another child picks up a toy. The kid with both toys goes over and, you know, bumps that other kid out of the way and tries to figure out to, to bring that other toy in, right, even though they got two hands full of toys. Or the flip side of that is child has no toys, And somebody else has a toy, even though there's a whole stack of toys over here. But somebody else has got the toy that they want. So, again, a shot is taken um, or a grab is making, right, to get that toy. But we do that as adults. We do the very same thing. And Paul is saying the situations and the circumstances that God has put me in has taught me to be content. And the key verse in all that is verse 13. And yet verse 13 is one of those famous verses that if, you've, if, if you're a high school athlete um, or any kind of other musician or you've, you've tried to battle through something, you've completely ripped verse 13 out of context and used it to get you across the finish line. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Okay. I promise you, I did that every single night of my high school basketball career. When I was out there running on a dirt road, you know, it was 10 o'clock at night, I was trying to get my miles in. I just quote that verse over and over, you know, just to, it's kind of my mantra to get through the pain. Um, but that's not that verse. In fact, really, a, a better reading of this verse would be, and I can do all these things through Christ who strengthened me. If you, if you put it in the context of where Paul is, Paul's saying Christ is the secret to contentment because he gives me the strength that I need no matter whether I'm in abundance or whether I'm in need. It's his strength who gets me through. So Paul's talking about contentment here when he talks about verse 13. So the question I want you to I want you to ask yourself this morning is, what are you preoccupied with? Are you preoccupied with your situation or are you preoccupied with Christ? 
Because Paul was preoccupied with Christ. And as a result of that preoccupation, he could be content. Because Christ was his strength. So think about the circumstances that you're in right this very moment. How are you dealing with those circumstances? Are you looking to yourself or are you leaning into Christ for his strength, his wisdom, his knowledge to carry you through, whether it's abundance, whether it's need, whether it's a moment of ease, whether it's a season of hardship? Christ is your strength. And because he is your strength, he has given you what you need to be content in the moment. Because see, Paul doesn't say in this text here, I knocked it out, I crushed it, I overcame it. Now there are other places where he talks about overcoming the world. But Paul just simply said, in the circumstance that I'm in right now, I've learned contentment. So sometimes, for some of us, instead of trying to figure out a way to get out of where we are, how do we just rest in and abide in where we are? Because this is where the Father has us in that moment. Now, that's, that's not an excuse to be lazy. It's not an excuse to wallow in your sin. If, if God is disciplining you, um, or there's something you need to confess, or there's a relational discord that's happening, it's, it's, it's not to just sit in that and go, okay, well, Charles just told me just to be content in my situation, so I'm not supposed to do anything. That's not what I'm talking about. And what I am saying is that you're leaning into the Father and trusting His wisdom, His timing, His knowledge for, for what you need to do and where you need to rest and how you need to abide. So again, if you didn't write this down, write this down. Don't be, don't be preoccupied with your situation. Be preoccupied with Christ. Second thing is this. As believers, partnership in gospel ministry bears fruit. That's the second half of this whole passage. So 14 to 20, Paul begins to really dig in with them about this idea of what partnership looks like. And so he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, your Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He's, he's saying to the Philippians, you didn't just go, hey, Paul, we're, we're with you. you wrote him, they wrote him a letter of encouragement every once in a while. They prayed for him. No, they were in it with him. Quite literally, they had skin in the game. They gave. They financially were with him because the connection between partnership does involve our pocketbooks. And so as Paul began to move out of Philippi, move down into Thessalonica, and then he's began to head down into Athens. So I was thinking about the Israel, I almost said Athens. I was like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> wrong, wrong one, right? Uh, they, they were... 
they saw themselves, and I think this is a key, they saw themselves not as consumers but as co-laborers. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that with our elder team here, with our deacon team here, with our leadership team here. Like, worship was earlier was a reflection, like quite literally, when I stopped singing and you all just, you guys were the worship team today. You're co-laborers. You're not just consumers of goods. Like, you're not coming here to go, man, I hope this guy delivers a good message today, and if he doesn't, I'm going someplace else. No, I'm here to be encouraged, but I'm taking that encouragement and I'm turning it around and I'm passing it on to somebody else. Charles or John or whoever was preaching that day, that person is just helping me unpack the scriptures even more, not just for a personal benefit, which yes, it is, but also to turn around and take that message and use it in the mission field that God has given me. I'm a co-laborer. I'm not just a consumer. And for Paul, that, that involved also their resources, their financial resources. But as he says, as he goes on down to say, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I love that idea. See, for Paul, it wasn't even about the money. It was about challenging the Philippians in such a way that they had to basically sacrifice some things so that they could take care of Paul. And through sacrificing some things, they learned some new things about the Father. They learned some new things about their relationship with the Father, and there was fruit that resulted from the way that they cared for Paul. Because they, they had to make some decisions. You know, do we go get that extra Starbucks this month? Actually, that's not even a sacrifice. Um, you know? Do we go without this meal so that we can take care of Paul? Do we go share a meal with another family because we don't have enough food to make it through the end of the week, so we're going we're gonna to pool our resources together because we want to make sure Paul's taken care of. And through that pooling of resources together and celebrating together, having a meal together, our missionary gets taken care of, but also we learn something new about dependence on the Father. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened. That's just me making up something that could have happened with the Philippians. But there's something that Paul knew was going on in their lives by them helping him because he was saying, I, see, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So there's something happening spiritually in their lives because of the way they're caring for Paul. Because he goes on to say, I've received full payment. The more I'm well supplied... So Paul's taken care of. And we, and we learned this a few weeks back when we saw Epaphroditus come, give him something, take care of him. The Philippians are concerned about Epaphroditus because Epaphroditus almost died. Paul's sending him back to them. But the offering came through them. And then he switches an image. Then he switches imagery right here in the middle of verse 18. He switches from this idea of, of fruitfulness to this fragrant aroma. In my house, here in about a month and a half, there's going to be this awesome aroma. And it comes from a homemade caramel apple pie with four or five. Yeah, see, I, I heard all the rest of you guys. I heard you, right? Because you know, you know. Man, there's nothing like walking into a house that's got 
a caramel apple pie that just came out of the oven. Man, it's just a sweet aroma. That's the imagery Paul uses right here. And what is the sweet aroma that he talks about? Look in verse 18. He says, a fragrant offering, a a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The sweet aroma that he's talking about is sacrificial obedience. That's the sweet aroma that the Father loves to smell. He loves to see his children offer that fragrant offering, that sacrifice acceptable to God. And so Paul's thanking and encouraging the Philippians to just keep doing that. Now here's the deal. You're not earning God's favor by sacrificial obedience. This is not a earn your salvation, earn God's favor. If you're one of God's children, if you've responded to the call on God's, on, that God has placed on your life, said yes to him, confessed your sin, asked him to save you, and he saved you, you're one of his, there's nothing else you need to do, can do, to earn any more of his love for you. You are just one of his beloved children. So this is not a earn God's love kind of thing right here. But what Paul is saying to the Philippians right here, this is an overflow of the relationship with the Father where you're just offering this sweet sacrificial gift. It's acceptable and it's pleasing to God. And then he reminds them in verse 19 of this promise. He says, he says to them, and remember, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And again, this is another verse that oftentimes gets pulled out of context. And we just kind of, we quote it in verse 13. They're kind of these bookends, but they're in the middle of all this thing about contentment and sacrificial obedience. And so Paul's saying, Just trust the Father. Brady talked about it last week in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Whenever we have anxiety about, man, I just don't know if I can do this. I don't know if we can do this. Take that anxiety to the Father. Give it to the Father. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Trust Him. And if God is calling you just to faithfully give financially with your time, with your energy, whatever, and you're just like, I just don't know, Father. But there's a, clear, there's a clear move of the Holy Spirit in your life to do that. You do it and you trust the Father to provide for you what you need to be sustained. We're, we're in a space now where God has provided for us. So we're just trying to live as open-handedly as we can. Because... One is we see it in Scripture, but two, we see how God has just been faithful in the past. Our very first house, we couldn't afford a house. I mean, the housing market, it's not like it is today, so I'm not even going to compare it, you know. Interest rates were about the same, though. Um, 
for our first house. We were living in this little rental house. Um, we were the um, we were going to be the second owners. The house was built like in the early 20s, and uh, the lady that owned the house, she lived next door, um, True Spencer, um, with her best friend from college. They owned a bakery, um, and um, the other lady's dad was a pastor. And they came to us one day, and they said, hey, we need to sell the house. And we're just like, what are we going to do? We can't afford a house. We don't have any kind of a down payment. And so we just began to pray, God, just give us clarity about where we need to go, what we need to do. And about three weeks later, she came back to us and she said, here's what we want to do. You go to the bank, you find out how much the bank will give you for a mortgage, and we'll take that amount. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We were like, wow, really? You know? And that's how God provided that first time. And then there was one little guarantee, there was one little stipulation in the contract. When we got ready to move, they got the first rights to buy it back. It's like, okay, guaranteed seller, guaranteed buyers, right, if we ever need to move. And so the day came for us to move, and they're like, we don't want to buy it, but we have a buyer in mind. And you know when you sell houses, you've got all these kinds of inspections and all those kind of things, and there's all kinds of things that we don't know about that house. I mean, the house was built in the 20s, you know? And the property used to be joined together, and now the property was divided. Well, when you live out in the country, you know, you're not on a sewer system, you're on a septic system. And we think that our septic system was on their property. But we weren't for sure. And so we got ready to sell the property, and, and we're nervous as all get out, weren't we? Um, and we're just like, God, what do we do? Because we don't have the money to put in a brand new septic system on our property. And so the inspector came out, and he, he poked around our yard. He poked around their yard. <laughs> he never could find anything. <laughs> couldn't, find the, couldn't find the field tile. Couldn't find any of those lines. For some of you, you, have, you, don't, you have no idea what I'm talking about when it comes to field tile. Anyway, it's just a part of your septic system. Anyway, couldn't find anything. And so he just came up to the house. He goes, I can't find anything. I know you got one, you know, but you're good. Signed the paperwork. Sold the house. You know, so again, just another moment of God just taking care of us in a way. I mean, we, we, we'd have been sunk, you know. Those are the big stories. We have little stories like that over and over and over again where God just faithfully took, has taken care of us and provided for us. And so we're trying to live as open-handed as we can. So when young people call or missionaries call and say, hey, can you partner? We just want to be able to just to say Yes. Our yes is on the table. Had one of those calls this week. Had a young man call me and say, hey, um, his dad was a former coworker of mine, um, passed away a couple years from cancer, a couple years ago from cancer, and his son's now looking at going into the ministry. He's got to raise his own support for the ministry that he's going into. And he's like, would you, would you pray for me? And I'm just like, absolutely, I'd pray for you. He's like, oh, so would you be my fi- on my financial team? I was like, Absolutely. We, 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 just, we, just, we just want to live as best we can in that way. Um, because that's where God has us right now. Because we've been, God's been faithful to take care of us, and we just want to be a part of that for other people. You may not be in that space where you can say that. Um, 
And I'm not saying I'm not laying that down as a standard. I'm just saying that's where God has us as a family because we're trusting for him to provide. You you may need to trust for him to provide in other kinds of ways. And Paul's just reminding you that he will do that. He'll supply every need of yours to his glorious riches in, in Christ Jesus. And he finishes that out by saying, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. He ends it with a praise. I'm reminded of the old hymn that just says, simply says, trust and obey. That's really what he's talking about right here. Just trust the Father and obey. Trust and obey, trust and obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I would change the word happy to joy. Um, you know, but we understand, that, we understand where the hymn writer is going with that. Trust and obey. So as I wrap up this morning, I, I want to look at these last three verses and just say this. Sometimes we forget about these kind of verses, but the last thing I want to say is, as believers, we give thanks for the good gift of partners in the work. Paul was thankful for those co-laborers. I said it once, but I'll say it again. I'm thankful for the, for the men and the women in this church that are co-laborers with our team in the gospel. Just like Paul was thankful um, and he was reminding them of the brothers that are with him, that aren't with them. And so I just want to say to you, from the, from the chair that I get to sit in, I get, to hang out, I get to hang out with a lot of missionaries around the world and around our country. And they are super thankful for churches like Delta. There's three young men that I just finished training that are going to be planting churches in Oklahoma. Uh, one's in Norman, um, one's in Tulsa amongst the Indian population. Um, one's, uh, another, one, another one is in, in Tulsa. Um, actually, it's outside of Tulsa planting in a small rural community. And those brothers are just thankful for churches like Delta. Um, and if they were here, they would say thank you for what you're doing. Tuesday night, I was on a, I was on a Zoom call with um, pastors who are here in America but they represent some of the hardest, hardest countries in the world going through training with me on how to train their people on some things. And those brothers are just thankful. A young man from Afghanistan just, just came to the States. Um, he's out in California planting a church amongst the Afghani community in California. Um, two or three brothers that are um, from different places of India that are planting churches in India, um, planting churches amongst the Indian population here in the United States. Super thankful for churches like Delta. I mean, I, I, I could just run the list. I mean, they're just, there are men and women all over this country um, that are doing some really cool things amongst hard-to-reach people, hard people groups, hard places because of churches like Delta. And so I just, I just say, just like Paul said here, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, the brothers who, who are with me. Greet you, all the saints greet you. And don't miss verse 22. He says, and especially those of Caesar's household. Go back real quickly to, to Philippians chapter 1, verse 17. I think it's verse 17. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Where's Paul writing this from? He's in Rome. 
Who's in charge in Rome politically? Caesar. What's he say at the end of Philippians? There's some believers in Caesar's household. The gospel is going forward. The gospel is advancing. There's no government. There's no human authority. There's no any other kind of circumstance that's going to stop the gospel from going forward. Paul was reminding the Philippians of that to be an encouragement to them. Same message today. The gospel is exploding around the globe. In the United States, 60% of our church plants in the last 10 years have been non um, Anglo church plants. People groups are being reached. The gospel is going forward in spite of difficult situations, in spite of persecution, in spite of martyrdom, even today by faithful believers. The gospel's moving forward. So as we close out this morning, I want to ask you some questions. I got three questions for you. So I didn't put them up on the screen. You, just, you, you, can, you can write them down. Number one is this. What's your current reality related to contentment and co-laboring? What's your current reality? Where are you at when it comes to contentment, when it comes to co-laboring? And be honest. Don't be like I am sometimes where I walk by the mirror and I suck it in, Okay? All right? Step on the scale and do a reality check right now. Be honest with your current situation. Where are you when it comes to contentment and co-laboring? There may be some things you just need to confess this morning. Father, I'm not content. I'm struggling. He already knows that. So be honest with him and lay it at the foot of the cross. Confess it. Second question is this, where do you want to be a month from now, 90 days from now? I have a buddy that um, helps coach me and teaches me coaching, and he'll talk to me all the time as he said, what, what do you want to be true about yourself 30 days from now that's not true today? What about you? What do you want to be true about yourself 30 days from now that's not true today? Third question is this. I call this the courage question. What are the fears internally and what are the obstacles externally that could derail you from where God is leading you? What are the fears and what are the obstacles? Be honest. And the last question is then, what's your next step? What's the one thing that you need to do today to move yourself closer to where the Father wants you to be versus where you are today? It doesn't have to be some big grandiose thing. John talks to us all the time about those everyday, just little things that we do each and every day over a long course of time. That faithful obedience over a long time, that's what we're chasing after. 
So what's that look like for you? So this morning, as we move into our Lord's Supper time, you just may need to kind of just sit and marinate on those questions. Um, And then use this as an opportunity then just to reflect on God's faithfulness, God's goodness as you celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, But then also ask the Father for clarity about, man, what's next for me? What's it look like so that um, I am truly content with where I am or I can truly be a co-laborer in the partnership of the gospel? So just use this moment as that. Brady's going to come up and, and talk more about what this communion time is about, but that's just where I want you to kind of land the plane today, all right? Let me pray for us, and then Brady's going to come. Father, I thank you for this summer. I thank you for this season that you've um, given us the privilege to give to John and to Tara and their family. Um, Lord, I thank you for our pastor and the things that you've taught him over these last three months and this season of rest and and um, we look forward to, to him coming back and, and continuing to give us his leadership and wisdom in the ways that you've taught him. Lord, this morning, I just pray that you will continue to reveal to us in your word what it looks like to be people who understand the secret of contentment, to be people who understand what it looks like to be co-laborers in the ministry of the gospel so that the gospel advances forward like it did with Paul and with the churches that he planted all throughout um, Asia, Asia Minor, Europe, Middle East, Father. Thank you for his work. We're here today because of his faithfulness. So Lord, I pray if you linger, if, if you don't come back soon, that 50 years, 100 years from now, people will be saying, I'm here today because of the faithfulness of the people of Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that sacrificially give, sacrificially obey, and follow your lead. In your son's name I pray. Amen.